0: Hello, fellow rebel capitalists. Hope you're well. Got uh, a hat. Today is my birthday. Believe it or not, I am 50 years old. The big (laughs) 5-0. The staff for the YouTube channel uh, made me this custom hat and uh, custom t-shirt as well so we can add this to the end the Fed hat. But let's get right into the first story of the day. And that is the Fed raising rates this week. That's right. They're currently at 4.25%. They'll but most likely go to 4.5% or even higher. So how does that impact you? And even if you're watching this video after the fact, I'm sure you're still asking the same question. How do these rate hikes impact me personally? How does this impact my budget? So let's get over to this story from CNBC. Title, the Federal Reserve is likely to hike interest rates once again. Here's what that means for you. Now, I did a live stream on the George Gammon channel last night, a Q&A, and someone asked me about this, and I said I thought they would raise 50 basis points, but I also said that I didn't know what the market expectations were. And if the market expectations were for 25 basis points, then that would be kind of my base case because i know the fed doesn't want to upset the market but the main takeaway here is that there's you know 99% probability that the fed will raise rates this week it's just a matter of are they going to raise them to you know 25 basis points or 50 and if history is a teacher we know that they usually raise them to the high watermark set by the 2 year treasury which is about 4.75% So let's assume they do a 25 basis point hike. Uh, That still means that they're going to have another hike, uh, maybe at the next Fed meeting. Key talking points, the Federal Reserve is widely expected to hike rates one quarter of a percentage point, we said, at this week's policy meeting as inflation starts to ease. Still another interest rate increase will make borrowing more expensive. Here's what that means for your wallet. Now, one of the things we discussed last night can't remember it was the public live stream, the Rebel Capitals Pro, but it's the fact or the idea that I was encouraging people to think through. So we were talking about the CPI and most people, when they look at the CPI, me included, you just look at that headline number, which is a year over year tally of the CPI. But I think it's important to look at CPI month over month. So when we look at headline CPI right now, you look at 6.5%. But when you look at month over month, just over the last six months, let's say, and then you see that over the last six months, assuming we, let's say over the last six months, I don't have the number right in front of me, but it's about, let's call it 1.25% total over the last six months. In fact, you guys probably remember from watching my videos, December was negative, negative 0.1. So if we just take the last six months and assume that the next six months will look similar to that, that means CPI year over year. Will come down from 6.5 down to around 2.5. And if you say to yourself, oh, George, that's absolutely impossible. There's no way inflation is going to get that close to the Fed's target. Okay, well, what will be the catalyst to get another upswing in the rate of inflation? Assuming that it's all about the amount of currency units or aggregate demand and then supply, well, how are we going to rapidly decrease supply? or increased demand in the next six months, what's going to be the catalyst? And you say, well, that the Fed's going to come in and do what they did in 2020 along with fiscal. In the next six months, maybe if we have a black swan, I'd agree. But if we don't have some sort of black swan financial crisis, that's my base case that we're going to be down close to 2% in the next uh, six months, year over year. So anyway, why does that matter? Okay. Because now we go through and we think about what, how the Fed's interest rates impacts the economy at a time when the inflation rate, if you look at the last six months, is annualized at, let's say, 2.5%. Okay, let's keep going. So here at the top of the article, there's talking about how they'll most likely move 25 basis points. Uh, We get that. Uh, This person, Yiming Ma, they are, I don't know if it's a girl or guy, but they're the assistant finance professor at Columbia. They say the good news is the worst is over. The U.S. Central Bank is now knee-deep in rate hike cycle that has raised its benchmark rate to 4.25% in less than a year. I guess the fastest rate increase of all time. Although inflation is still above the Fed's 2% long-term target, pricing pressures have come down substantially. I definitely agree with that. So first and foremost, according to this article, and I think this is—I—I I, I haven't done too many whiteboard videos on credit cards, but this—this this sounds right. So since most credit cards have variable interest rates, there's a direct connection to the Fed's benchmark. As the Fed funds rate increases, the prime rate does as well, and credit card rates follow suit. Cardholders, you—and I know this was uh, uh, definitely applicable to those lines of credit that I had on my on my. Uh, equity in my real estate back in the day. So my point there is this there's a lot of credit. There's there's a lot of uh interest rates. There's a lot of loans out there, let's say, that are above and beyond just consumer loans that are still impacted by the Fed's overnight rate. That was my after rising at its steepest annual pace, the average credit card rate is now nineteen point nine percent on average, an all-time high. Oh wow I didn't know that. An all time high. Wow. So that's interesting. How can that be an all-time high? Hmm. Okay, here's what's going through my mind when I read this. We know that uh, you know credit cards, let's just say they started to become popular in the 1980s. Well, since that time, I mean, we've had the Fed funds rate well over 4.25%. I mean, before the GFC, it was over 4.25%. So why on earth would the delta between the Fed funds rate and credit cards currently be at an all-time high, which is another way of of looking at I'm looking data. that up right now. It seems like the chart, for like the history only goes back to like 1994. So it doesn't account the 70s because they don't have the data for it. Yeah, but I don't know if credit cards were really a thing in the 1970s. I, I don't know because I was so young. Um, but I think they really became popular in the 1980s. But uh, even so, from 1994... Uh, There's been several times when in the United States, the Fed funds rate has been over 4.25%. So again, what this would tell me is the delta between Fed funds and credit card rates currently is at an all-time high. If you want to look at the chart right now, it's uh, substantially over any time that the chart really goes back to. Jeez, I guess so. Wow. Okay. So what this tells me, is one of two things, or or maybe both. Uh, Number one, the risk premium is far higher that the banks are charging, meaning the default rates are increasing on credit cards. Therefore, they're charging a higher interest rate to compensate for the additional defaults. Or the banks just aren't making any money, and therefore they're just having to nickel and dime people. Uh, I would probably assume that it's the former, if I had to guess. But yeah, that's, Definitely something I think we should think through. That's really, really interesting. I mean, that would, assuming that it is the banks increasing the risk premium because of defaults, I mean, that would play right into when did it really start to spike, Josh? Be curious. Was that, go back to that? Okay. So it really started to spike the start of 2022. Yeah. So then, yeah. So what that would tell me is that the risk premium throughout this time frame, And then I'm, I'm pointing at, uh, let's call it post-GFC. So between 2009 and 2018, when rates were kind of hovering around 12.5 and they went up to 15, I would assume, and let's remember that the Fed funds is at zero. So I assume what happens here is the defaults are going up. So they're charging more and more of a risk premium. Let's also remember that back then, their, the, the yield curve was very flat, so the, it was hard for just normal banks to make money on lending, so you could assume, possibly, uh, that they had to increase the amount they're charging on credit cards to compensate for what they weren't making on traditional lending. Um and now you've got the interest on excess reserves or interest on reserves has kicked in to give them you know, additional revenue coming in on their P&L, that's for sure. But I think just looking at this very, very quickly here without having to have time to really think it through, I think the risk premium probably increased significantly, meaning the defaults increased significantly uh, over the last 10 years or and or. Uh, and or uh, they use this to increase their their revenue, and then what happened when the Fed took rates higher so quickly? Uh, they didn't reduce their risk premium. The defaults didn't reduce, go down. Therefore, that delta remained the same, and you just adjust the overnight rate, and then the overall rate has to increase at the same at the same uh, pace. Okay, going back to the article, credit card balances are rising at the same time credit card rates are at record highs. I mean, again, I, I don't know how you could say the economy is doing well uh, with, with these data. I mean, you just, you've just you got the outlier of the unemployment rate, but everything else is just does not look good. If you currently have credit card debt, tap a lower interest rate, personal loan, or 0% balance transfer card, I'm not sure what that is. Um, okay, so then they're just giving you some advice there. So mortgages, 15, 30-year, rates are fixed, tied to treasury yields. You know, when shopping for a new house has lost considerable purchasing power. Now they're not really talking about the Fed interest rate hikes. So they're really talking about the fact that home prices have gone up so significantly and that mortgage rates have gone up as well, although they're not going up at the same pace as far as in percentage terms. Uh, the delta there is, is actually... I would say decreasing over the last maybe six months because the 10-year treasury has been going down as far as the yield. But it is true that as far as affordability, that that is most likely at or very close to an all-time high. And uh, if the Fed raises rates again, there's a possibility that the 10-year responds in kind and therefore mortgage rates go up. But I, I would say that wouldn't be my base case. I, I My base case is even if the Fed raises, you know, 25, Even if the rates, maybe they raise 50, uh, the 10-year might respond by uh, as sort of the yield going up, which would make mortgage rates go up. But at 25, I don't think, I think that's pretty much baked into the cake and baked into the 10-year, therefore mortgage rates right now. So now they're talking about how this affects adjustable rate mortgages or what I was talking about earlier, those... Uh, home equity line of credits that I had on some of my rental properties back in the day auto loans this is a big deal because if you guys watch my whiteboard video on Friday you know that the prices have come down significantly but prices for used cars and trucks are still way higher than they were in 2019 so if you've got interest rates there in fact let's look some at some specific data they say average interest rates on 5 year new car loan it's currently 6.18 up from 3.9. So same type of dynamic with the uh, that you see in the housing market where interest rates have gone up significantly, maybe not at the same pace as Fed funds, but they've still gone up along with prices, therefore affordability uh, close to all-time lows. Then they go on to talk about student loans and how the overnight rate impacts student loans. But I mean, honestly, my pushback here would be Is anyone paying their student loan? (laughs) They still got the forbearance, for heaven's sakes. I don't know if anyone's paying them. And they're most likely going to get wiped out. So I don't think that's a a huge drag on the economy. Savings accounts. And here's where you really see what's going on with the the banks having additional profit as a result of interest on reserves and quantitative easing. Because prior to QE, uh, banks actually were... Uh, competing for reserves because it's a cheap form of credit uh, to do it, you know, to kind of manage their balance sheet. I think it's the best way of looking at it. And uh, therefore, if the Fed funds rate went up to four point two five percent, the interest rate on a checking account or savings account would go up to call it 4.1% uh, uh, So, are very close to Fed funds. Now they're so flushed with reserves, uh, they could care less about your money. Uh, they don't need to have your deposits. It's, it's not a, it still might be a, a cheap source of uh, managing their balance sheet, but they, they don't need it because they've got their, they got reserves coming out their ears for heaven's sakes. So that's why you see right here, they're saying the average savings account at large retail banks is still 0.33%, although they're making, let's call it 4.3%, an additional 4% on their reserves held at the Fed were part of the GFC, they are making 0, 0%, on that. Now, it is interesting that they say savings accounts with top-yielding online banks are at 43 My guess is that's because they don't have access to the Fed's balance sheet, therefore they're not included in that IOR, and or they're taking a lot of risk here meaning they're, they're taking your deposits and using them in repo or something like that. There, there's got to be some catch here uh, as to why they're paying such a high rate that would involve taking a lot more risk and possibly involve the fact that they might not have access to the Fed's balance sheet. All right, so the main takeaway there is to understand which interest rates are high, which interest rates will continue to go up and look At that through the lens of the CPI being very low, believe it or not, for the last six months, you kind of ask yourself the question if these Fed rate hikes have such a lag for the economy, and we're kind of at the beginning of seeing the impact of the rate hikes that we saw six months ago. If they raise rates this week, which they... Obviously, most likely will. And if they continue to go up to, let's say, 4.75%, what does that do to the CPI? And that, that would increase the probabilities for me that we continue with this disinflationary trend. That's for sure. And then what does that mean for the probabilities of a recession in the overall economy in general? I mean, you can see how looking at the data points that we just discussed briefly in this video, how there's a lot of people that are arguing that the Fed has already raised rates too high if the objective is a quote-unquote soft landing. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your day. As always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market capitalism. We'll see you in the next video.